right, good morning, beloved. Good morning. I want to invite you this morning to open your Bibles and turn with me to the book of 1 Peter chapter 1. 1 Peter chapter 1, we are in a series of sermons going verse by verse through this wonderful epistle of Peter. And this morning we turn our attention to verses 13 through 17. The title of today's message is Prepare Your Mind for Action. Prepare your mind for action. I want to begin today by reading our verses once through, and after we can look at them uh, more carefully, as Peter, through the Holy Spirit, really has some practical um, instruction for his church in these verses. These are, these are some really rich verses. So, beginning in verse 13, here now is the word of the living and true God. Therefore... Prepare your minds for action, and being sober-minded, set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. As obedient children, do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance, but as he who has called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct. Since it is written, you shall be holy, for I am holy." And if you call on him as father who judges impartially, according to each one's deeds, conduct yourselves with fear throughout the time of your exile. I'm not going to get through all the way to verse 17 today. Um, it's going to be a two-part message. Um, but beginning in verse 13 is the believer's response um, to this glorious salvation that we have in christ you'll recall it was back in verse one that peter began his letter by calling his readers god's elect exiles later on i'll refer to them as sojourners and pilgrims these are terms to remind his readers they are the chosen of god and because god has chosen you out of the world you are to live differently than those who are in the world verse 14, he calls them to live as obedient children, literally children of obedience. Now, in the first 12 verses of chapter 1, you might have a single command given. Um, there isn't a single obligation on our part. Um, our salvation is the free gift of God given by his grace. And Peter tells us this through 12 straight verses of glorious affirmation after affirmation and declarations of this salvation. By way of review, what has Peter told us? Well, we introduced our salvation in verse 2 saying, You were the chosen according to the foreknowledge of God the Father through the sanctifying work of the Spirit that you may obey Jesus Christ and be sprinkled with his blood. said in verse 3 that our salvation was according to his great mercy. And it was God who has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. And then he added that there is an imperishable, undefiled, and unfading inheritance kept in heaven for you, being guarded by the power of God through faith, a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. 
He also said that it would be through various trials that you've been grieved in this life, but you can still greatly rejoice because these have only tested your faith, proving it to be not only genuine, but more precious than gold. A faith that will ultimately result in praise and glory and honor, again, at the revelation of Jesus Christ, when Jesus reveals himself. And then last week in verses 10 through 12, Peter demonstrated just how great of a salvation we have through the viewpoint of four divine agents who are all involved in this message of salvation. Salvation by grace. We saw the Old Testaments not only proclaimed it, they studied their own writings. The Spirit inspired it. It was the apostles who preached it. And it was the angels who longed to experience that grace as we do. Wonderful verses. And so, in the first 12 verses there, then, that we cover, Peter has focused exclusively on what God has done for us. All a work of God, praising God for what he has done. But starting in verse 13. He turns his attention to the obligations we have to Christ. Not to earn our salvation, but because of our salvation, Peter lists these. What is our response to such a gracious and kind and merciful God? Well, Peter summarizes them in three words. Hope, holiness, and honor. And we'll examine two of those words in our verses today. So let's begin with response number one. Believers must respond to this glorious salvation with hope. Hope. Peter actually commands us to have hope in this verse 13. Um, Peter starts this new section with a very important conjunction. See that word there, therefore? Whenever we see therefore, we've got to ask, what's it there for, right? And, and this, this is a word of transition. And it's incredibly cru- uh, crucial in interpreting this verse correctly. Because it tells us that all of Peter's upcoming commands that he's going to give us depend on the grace that he's been talking about in verses 1 through 12. They are all linked to God's grace. The call to obedience and holiness is all rooted in the reality of God's grace. To reverse the order would be disastrous. It would lead us to legalism and works-based righteousness. So Peter writes, therefore, referring all the way back to those first 12 verses, these great salvational truths, therefore, because all this is true, preparing your minds for action. And being sober-minded, set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Now, as we look at this verse, I want to draw your attention to its main emphasis of hope. Hope. Peter says, set your hope fully. And he's using here what's called an active imperative, which means he's stating a direct, almost military fashion command. He's essentially saying, in the light of this glorious salvation... I command you, brothers and sisters, set 
your hope completely on the grace that is to come. Because you are God's chosen people, because you've been begotten by the Father, because of the greatness of this salvation, he says, set your hope fully, completely, entirely on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. That's Peter's first command. He says, we have to live in hope. Hope. Now, what is hope? We are commanded to set our hope, to, to fix our hope. But what does that mean, to, to, to set our hope? Well, basically defined, hope is the Christian's attitude towards the future. All right? In, in its essence, hope is equivalent to faith. All right? It's all trusting in God. The difference is, and mark this, faith is believing God in the present and what he has spoken in the past, while hope is believing in God for the future. Okay? Faith is believing God in what he said, in the present, in his promises. We have faith that those happen. We have faith that that's true. We have faith Jesus is who he said he is, while our hope is believing in something more towards the future. Faith believes what God has said and what God has done, where hope believes what God has promised to do. What God has promised to do. Or to put it another way, faith accepts while hope expects. Faith accepts, hope expects. Both trust in God. So, back to verse 13. What is Peter commanding us to do then? He says, set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. In other words, trust in God for your future. Live a life now that anticipates the, the glorious fulfillment of his future promises. He's saying, we owe God that. That's our obligation. Set your hope fully on his grace. And that word fully can be translated completely, uh, perfectly. It means once for all, fix your hope totally on his grace. As followers of Christ, we are to live out our faith on earth, not as people uncertain of what lies ahead. No, but with confidence of our eternal home because we have fixed our hope entirely on God's grace, the grace that is still to come. We experience grace now at our salvation. Wait to experience grace face to face. It's at the completion or the fullness of our salvation. This is a hope, Peter says, that honors God. He commands us because it honors God. The writer to the Hebrew says, this hope we have is an anchor of the soul, a hope both sure and steadfast and one which enters, check this out, within or behind veil. We all remember what happened to the veil at the cross. Into the Holy of Holies, it 
It's like at the cross, it, it, it tore the 60-foot massive curtain, just torn in half, blowing out the priesthood, blowing out what was the temple, blowing out the, these walls and these access gates to get to God. Now, this hope which is sure and steadfast and one which enters within the veil. We, we want to hook our anchor within the veil that holds on to the eternal word of God and all of his unfailing promises. We want to hook right onto those promises. We, go, we owe God all of our hope exclusively. My hope's in him. In Christ alone. There is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven that has been given among men which by which we must be saved. So God faithfully provided the perfect salvation in Christ by his grace, which resulted in the forgiveness of all of our sins, past, present, and future. He delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the eternal kingdom of his son. He has been faithful in the past. He's being faithful now in the present. He'll be faithful in the future. And we are to live in the light of that future, of what he has promised he will do. Peter has already introduced this idea to us in verse 3. He says, he has caused us to be born again to a living what? Hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. So hope should characterize our life, then we should be a people of hope. Now follow this. Peter is calling on us in verse 13 to set our hope fully on the grace that will come. This hope is not so much for how hope will affect us. It's not so much for what it does in, in my life or in your life, and, and it does a lot. <laughs> it does a lot. I mean, it transcends us from this passing world. Hope is, it, it lifts us up above the, the, the mundane. It elevates us beyond the circumstances that debilitate those of, of earthly people. But he's not calling us to hope for what it does with us, I don't believe. That's not his main point. He's calling us to hope because this glorifies God. Hope, our hope, glorifies God. If you are doubting in your salvation, if you're unsure of God's promises, if you're living in fear about oh, what tomorrow might bring, I mean, you would have thought this week the world ended. What is Trump doing? Does he got the nuclear codes? I don't know. And in essence, when we're living in this fear and uncertainty about, oh, geez, God, you got this whole thing going on, you're in effect saying to him, I'm not sure I can trust you in this. But as a believer who has received God's grace in the past, who's experienced it firsthand in the faithfulness of God here and now, you can fix your hope that God will be faithful in the future, and in doing so, God is being glorified. 
God is being glorified. So when trials and tribulations come knocking on our door, you're continued hoping God demonstrates for everyone to see, by the way, that God is faithful in keeping his promises. There's nothing worse than seeing a professing Christian just completely fall apart over the things of this earth. They're living for this world. They're not living for the eternal glory with God. Now let me show you an illustration of this. Turn in your Bibles for just a moment to Romans chapter 4. We'll be there for just a moment. I'd like you to turn there. Romans 4, verse 16 to 20. Um, I've just introduced this thought of our hope-glorifying God, um, but I want to support it with an illustration from Scripture. And uh, Paul uses Abraham to, to demonstrate this truth to us. The point is in verse 18, but we'll just read 16 for some of the context. Verse 16, we jump right into the, uh, the record of Abraham here. Uh, talks about faith and, and grace. And of course, we know Abraham received both from God. And at the end of verse 16, it says, Abraham is the father of us all. You know, referring to old father Abraham. Uh, the father of all the nations of the earth who are blessed through him. But also, he's the father in the sense that he's the archetype of who believed in God. He was saved by faith. And then in verse 17, it adds, As it is written, a father of many nations have I made you in the, in the presence of him whom he believed, even God, who gives life to the dead and calls into being that which does not exist. What a great verse, but I want you to notice verse 18. It says, In hope against hope, Abraham what? To say, believed. Now what does that mean, hope against hope? Hope against hope. Back in Genesis 18, uh, you'll recall an angel of the Lord appeared to Abraham, and he said something incredible to him. <laughs> he said, this time next year, your wife Sarah will have a what? son, right? A son, a promise. This is the promise. This is the promise that's connected to Genesis 3 promise. This is the seed and the line of the promise. And the promise now goes to Abraham. And God says, I'm making a promise with you. Your wife, Sarah, will have a son next year. Now, Abraham was nearly 100 years old, and Sarah was in her 90s, and she had been always barren. So when she heard what the Lord had said, she literally laughed to herself. They had been never able to have a child, and now all these years later, she was going to have a baby? And that's why it says in verse 18 that Abraham had hope against hope. Abraham hoped in God's promise that he would, in fact, give him a son. That was the hope that Abraham believed in. And even though it was hope against hope, meaning, humanly speaking, this was impossible. 190 years old? Regardless, it says, Abraham believed. And then look at verse 19. It says, and without becoming weak in faith, and again, now we see, and you see this throughout Scripture once you see it, faith equated with hope. Faith equated with hope. Because hope is faith placed in the future. 
the blessed hope. Without becoming weak in faith, look at this. He contemplated, this is Abraham, his own body. Now as good as dead, since he was about 100 years old, and the deadness of Sarah's womb. That was the reality that they were dealing with. On one hand, reality says, I'm as good as dead. Abraham saying, I'm 100 years old. How is this going to happen? And then on top of that, there's the deadness of my wife's womb. Yet, verse 20, and here's the key, with respect to the promise of God, he did not what? Waver in unbelief. What did he believe instead? What is impossible with man is possible with God. And he kept his hope in God's promise, hope against hope. And as a result, at the end of verse 20, he gave glory to to God. God was glorified. God, you see, was glorified. Can I put it to you simply? God is glorified when you hope in his future promises. God is glorified when you put your hope and belief and trust in him in what he said will happen. Of course, in the past, but future is what we're talking about here, the hope. This hope. And I think that's what Peter is really after here in our verses. So let's go back to 1 Peter in chapter 1, verse 13, I want to touch on the first part of the verse as well. Um, but let's finish up this command here that Peter gives. Notice what he's calling us to do. Set your hope fully on what? On what? Fully on what? The grace. The grace. That will be brought to you when? The revelation of Jesus Christ. Putting all this together then, Peter is calling us to devote every ounce of our mental and spiritual, our emotional energy to be contemplating and, and considering and meditating on and thinking about that grace that is to come. In other words, you are to live your life in light of the second coming of Christ. Your hope is in the second coming. He's coming back. He's coming back. The day when the, the, the whole redemptive work that has begun will be completed. That's the day we're talking about. This is the culmination of your salvation. This, this, this is the bow. This, this buttons the entire thing up. Paul calls it in Romans 8.23 the redemption of our bodies. When we are raised together with Christ. Um, the Apostle John in 1 John 3 verse 2 says, Beloved, we are God's children now. And what we will be has not yet appeared. But we know that when he appears, we shall be like him. Because we shall see him just as he is. So Peter says, you are to live in that hope, beloved. And the hope 
of the glorious return of Christ. Paul, Paul really refers to it so beautifully in Titus chapter 2, verse 13. I love this. He says, looking for the blessed hope and the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Christ Jesus. Now, let me ask you something honestly. Do you do that? Do you do that? Were you looking for the blessed hopes appearing this week? We're commanded to. Or are we just too distracted by all the things we got going on in this world? Paul says in Colossians 3, 2, and I, I read this verse a lot because I think it's, it's pretty simple, uh, very applicable, and I think so important for us to get into our minds. Set your minds on things that are where? Above. Not on the things that are in the earth. I mean, if I was to honestly take a record and account, I'm probably 80 earth, 20 heaven, and that's probably on a good week. And I'm studying about salvation every day. I can't find the, the bottom of it, and I can't find where it ends. I mean, every week, the depths are, are so incredible and, and, and inspire and strengthen and assure my faith. And so when I'm preaching then these verses on Sunday, I am fully convicted. I believe totally. My hope is in Christ, and I can declare it on God's word. Set your minds, beloved, on things that are above, not on the things that are on the earth. Do we live that way? Or is your mind stuck on the things here on earth? Is your mind on the things above? So Peter tells us, set your hope completely, entirely, totally on the grace. Grace upon Grace, the, the glorious reality of your salvation. We need to preach the gospel to ourselves every single day. His mercies are new every day. For by grace you have been saved through faith. We just read this. This is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not as a result of works, so that no one may boast. You can't earn it. You don't deserve it. It's just grace upon grace from our gracious Lord. Now, if you're thinking, yeah, but how on earth do I do this? <laughs> how do I just set my hope fully on that grace that is coming? Well, let's go back to the verse in the beginning there, and I think Peter has some insight for us. I'm already there. The main verb in verse 13 is set your hope. But then there are these two uh, participles, they're called. Participles in the Greek always modify this main verb. That's why I didn't start with it. <laughs> they're in the beginning of our verse, number one. The first one is preparing your minds for action. And then number two, being sober-minded. Those are the, the two. These help us to set our hope. So let's start with preparing your minds for action. In the Greek, 
or if you have a uh, old King James, um, new King James version, they, they still have it pretty close to the original. In the Greek, it's girded up your mind for action. Or gird your mind for action. To gird means to, to, uh, to brace or to tie down. Or if you've got a belt or a sash, to, to tie. Um, for their, a belt, it's, it's, it's used in that, in that metaphor to, to tie down. And, and particularly in ancient times, it was um, used referring to gathering up your robes. Um, you should have seen all the clothes and material of their, their long robes they had in ancient times. And they're flowing with all this excess material. <clears throat> and if you needed to move in a hurry or be active in working or you're off for a battle or, or something like that, you couldn't run with robe just flying all over the place. It would be impossible to, to run. So you had to have some kind of a sash or a belt to, to gird your robe. And this is actually kind of neat in Exodus chapter 12. This is a story from the very first Passover. And God had told his people that he was getting them out of Egypt. They, they were fleeing. And he wanted them to be ready to go. And so he instructed them that, that as they're eating Passover, remember the, the angel's going to come over and pass over and take that firstborn. And they had to mark uh, with blood. Um, so that he would pass over and not take that firstborn. But during the Passover meal, he tells them in Exodus 12, 11, they need to be ready because they're going to need to go quickly. It says, now you shall eat in this manner. Here's the Lord instructing, this is how you're going to eat. With your loins girded, all right, so with your robe tied up, not all loose all over the place, your sandals on your feet, your staff in your hand, and you shall eat in haste. It is the Lord's Passover. In other words, you be ready to go. Your loins are girded. Your, your, your shoes are on. You're ready to go. And that's the idea in verse 13 in 1 Peter. We, we miss out on what Peter's really saying because of our English translation of this verse. Um, it should say, and this is the new Nick authorized version, uh, therefore, because of this great salvation, having girded up the loins of your mind, and you being sober-minded, set your hope upon the grace being brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Do you see that now? You are ready to move. He's saying, get your priorities right. Let, let nothing hinder your mind. Pull in any of these loose ends that are hanging out. They're hanging over and fix your hope on the grace. Get yourself disentangled from all the, the hindrances of this world and devote yourself a, a clear-cut fashion to, to live in the light of the grace upon Christ's return. Paul uses the same metaphor in Ephesians 6 when he talks about the, the full armor of God. Stand, therefore, having fastened on the belt of truth. And, you know, when a Roman soldier had to run quickly for battle, the first thing you'd probably do is grab that belt that had the sheath for his sword in it, and he girded up his robe, and so he didn't have any loose ends flying out as he's running for battle. 
When you girded something up, it was done intentionally. I'm going into battle dead serious. Dead serious. I'm pulling in all my loose cords. I, I, I'm, I'm tying everything down. And, and here Peter is saying, do that with your mind, beloved. Get your mind girded. And he doesn't just mean intellect. He's talking the whole matter of spiritual and, and mental attitudes. Decisively make up your mind each day to bring every thought captive. That's what Peter means by preparing your minds for action. This, this could be the day for my blessed hope to appear. I mean, imagine if we thought of that each morning. This could be it. And set your hope fully on the reality of the grace that is coming. More grace at the revelation of Jesus Christ. I encourage you to, to, to live with some of this. and Anticipating your, your dear Lord's return. What our Lord must think. Are we just too busy? I mean, I'm pretty sure some Christians might say, Lord, you know, I'm, I'm mowing my lawn today. I had this all planned. I was going to buy this new car and my house and this and that. He's like, can I, can I return? Next week would be better for me. <laughs> and, you know, you get what I'm saying. Just I encourage us to have a little anticipation of what our Lord must see in our, our hearts. Have you forgotten your first love? And then also notice the second here, being sober-minded. The... Uh, Literal meaning is not to become intoxicated, which then we lose control of one's minds and actions. But metaphorically, it means not to be intoxicated with the world, <laughs> with the stuff that's going on out there. Sober-mindedness is the idea of spiritual steadfastness, of spiritual self-control, of clarity of mind, a life that is not intoxicated with the the endless allurements of a world that is around you. And Peter will warn us later in this verse saying, be sober-minded, be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. So he says, look, gird up your mind. Live a spiritually disciplined life. Don't put your guard down just yet. Prepare your minds for action, being sober-minded. So important that we have a, a moral decisiveness and a constant uh, mental and spiritual alertness. We can't be uh, followers of Christ who have fallen asleep in this Days, it's like Satan's got a, a spell and everyone's falling asleep and sleepwalking and, and running around so busy with this and that. Meanwhile, we're not fixing our hope on God. Peter's saying, pull everything else in and, and gird it tight. Gird, don't leave nothing loose. Gird it tight. Paul says in 2 Corinthians 10, 
verse 5, we demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God and we take captive every thought to make it obedient to Christ. In response to what God has given you, this, this glorious salvation, this, this gracious salvation, shouldn't you live in constant anticipation and hope of the grace that is to come? Do you remember what John said while he was on the Isle of Patmos? He's in exile. He's all alone. The Lord visits him in a vision, and he writes the book of Revelation all about the second coming of Christ. And at the end, Jesus says, surely I'm coming soon. And what does John say? John says, amen. Come, Lord Jesus, come. So we respond in hope towards God because of the greatest gift ever given that amazing grace that amazing grace alright see why I just split the sermon up that was point number one uh, point number two and we'll just hit this briefly and, and part two will be next week believers respond in holiness Res believers respond in holiness Notice verses 14 to 16. It says, As obedient children, do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance, but as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct. Since it is written, you shall be holy, for I am holy. As uh, God's children anticipating his glorious return and recognizing our salvation is all of his grace, we now live in such a way that honors our Heavenly Father. He says in verse 15, As He who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct. That's the main thought here. But there's also some background to that. Look at verse 14. He opens it as obedient children. Literally in the Greek, it's as children of obedience. You children of obedience and it's not so much that obedience is an adjective to to modify god's children it's that obedience is the parent of the children we are children of the obedience when you were born again you were born into obedience you now derive your character from obedience you derive your new nature from obedience. Obedience is the parent whose image you now bear. That's introduced by you shall be holy for I am holy. Isn't that incredible? In Ephesians 2.2, Paul says of our old nature that we were the sons of disobedience. Okay? In which we all once walked following the course of the world, following Satan, the prince of the power of the air, we were characterized there as our parent there was disobedience. But here he says, your new nature is obedience. The point here is that the follower of Jesus Christ is characterized by their obedience to God. That's the mark of a true believer. As he who has called you 
is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct. And he says, since that is your pattern, it certainly makes sense for you to be holy. And you say, well, if obedience is my new pattern of living, are we ever disobedient? Yes, of course, we all, we all fall short on this side of glory. We get our feet dirty. That's why Peter says, wash my whole body. The Lord says, no, I just got to wash your feet. So we all fall short on this side of glory, but obedience is our pattern. Disobedience breaks our pattern. And so he has to call even those who have a new nature and are now seen as obedient to be obedient. Verse 14 says, as obedient children, do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance. You see, in our old nature, we were blind to our disobedience. We just acted freely in disobedience because that was our nature. But as children of obedience, God has graciously opened our eyes, has he not? We're no longer walking in our former ignorance. We now have new desires to obey and to honor our Heavenly Father. We are not ignorant. But hear me, beloved, that does not mean that those old passions of your former ignorance have completely disappeared. We're just awakened to them now. We know. We know. Again, later in this letter, Peter warns us to be watchful of your adversary, the devil. The devil, he's looking for someone. He's the accuser. He runs up there day and night. Is that Nick, your servant down there? Do you see him? And that's why we go back to that lovely hope that is in the grace of Christ because Jesus steps in front and he says, he's one of mine. I've paid for it. And the accuser's got to go down and accuse again. But we're awakened now. Watch out, your adversary, the devil. Every day, gird your loins. Put on the full armor of God. Don't take a day off. Because whether you're a mature believer or one that needs to be reminded of this or just a, a, a babe, we are all capable of being ensnared. That's why Peter says, do not be conformed. That word conform, it means to mold or to shape, to conform. Think of a, a four by four, maybe going a four by four stud going in as a, a, a support post or a six by six. And you're building this uh, wooden frame and you make a little box. You're going to pour some concrete and put the four by four, six by six in there. Similarly, Peter is saying, don't be molded according to the passions of your former ignorance. When in darkness, you walked in disobedience, apart from God. Rather, he says here in verse 15, but as he who has called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct. Since it is written, you shall be holy for I am holy. And there he quotes Le Leviticus 11:44. He's saying, be pure, be clean, be righteous, be separate from defilement. 
Cleanse yourselves from all filthiness of the flesh. 2 Corinthians 7, 1 says, perfectly holy. Uh, Ephesians 5, I uh, got this one, 5, 1 through 2. Therefore be imitators of God as beloved children and walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself for us a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. In other words, be like the one whose image you bear. Now the question comes, you know, how can I do that? We'll close here with Romans 12, 1 through 2. Really sums up and speaks with a lot of the same language that Peter's speaking of. Paul says, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy, there it is, and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed, there it is, same, same idea, same word, to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable, his perfect will. We, we renew our minds with God's word and his promises every day like our life depended on it. So you may discern what is the will of God. We should all know what the will of God is. God has spoken what is good and acceptable and perfect. Do not be conformed. Kind of left that analogy off. My, my idea is as that cement is poured in, you see how it comes and it shapes around that 4x4, four 6x6. Four, six six. And you want that wood to be a solid because that's going to be a frame that weight bears and holds. And if you put a junky piece of wood in there or something that was rotten, and it comes in, it's going to conform it and break it all apart and, and reshape it. You want that to be a nice, clean, solid block, nice and level, so you can build off of it like a, like a cornerstone. But when we're loosened on our own, we can be conformed, and it can change its shape, and it can become crooked and unbalanced. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, same word in First Peter. <clears throat> well, we'll pick up the rest of this chapter next week. Um, incredible words for Peter here to these persecuted Christians. And do they not still speak loud and clear to us today? That hope in the grace. Well, I want to invite anyone, if you need prayers, that you can come forward and remember the full armor of God. Remember you have an enemy that wants to seek you out and destroy you. And you have a God who has defeated him. And his word in our hearts and minds. Please stand as we sing the song of invitation this morning. Thank you.